I'm Stephen Hall, author of Maxwell's Demon, and you're listening to Booked. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Libya Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. This is a book that um, the two of us have been excited about for the entire time since we read Raw Shark Text back, back in the day, I'm assuming. Um, today is the day where we get to have a conversation about Maxwell's Demon by Stephen Hall. Um, before we get into our regular banter about how great this is, I'll just get the I'll get the bio out of the way really quick. Um, his first novel, The Raw Shark Text, won the Borders Original Voice Award, Somerset Maugham Award, and was shortlisted for the Arthur C. Clarke Award. The book has been translated into 30 languages. His second novel, Maxwell's Demon, which we're talking about right now, was published in the UK in February 2021. The book's been called A Dazzlingly Smart Postmodern Treat by The Observer and Superb by The Telegraph. In 2013, Stephen was named as one of Granta Magazine's Best Young British Novelists. Got to give him some credit for recognizing talent, I guess, right? Granta Magazine? Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, you know what? This I'm kind of pissed at The Observer because I thought we could just say, hey, this is a dazzlingly smart postmodern treat, and then be like, this is the shortest episode ever. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. But yeah, they beat us to it, so Damn we'll it. have to... We'll have to elaborate a little bit. Here is the book synopsis for Maxwell Seaman. Thomas Quinn is having a hard time. A failed novelist, he's stuck writing short stories and audio scripts for other people's characters. His wife, Imogen, is working on a remote island halfway around the world, and talking to her over the webcam isn't the same. The bills are piling up, the dirty dishes are stacking in the sink, and the whole world seems to be hurtling towards entropic collapse. Then he gets a voicemail from his father, who has been dead for seven years. Thomas's relationship with Stanley Quinn, a world-famous writer and erstwhile absent father, was always shaky, not least because Stanley always seemed to prefer his enigmatic assistant and protege, Andrew Black, to his own son. Yet after Black published his first book, Cupid's Engine, which went on to sell over a million copies, he disappeared completely. Now strange things are happening to Thomas, and he can't help but wonder if Black is tugging at the seams of his world behind the scenes. Absurdly brilliant, wildly entertaining, and utterly mind-bending, Maxwell's demon triumphantly excavates the ways we construct meaning in a world where chaotic collapse looms closer every day. Do you think a million books is, is a lot of books? And when I say that, <laughs> I, like... So I will, we'll get into the story. Right. But like Andrew Black was like, like, like everybody knew his name. Like that's the impression I got. Like, like one of the biggest authors ever. I don't know if like a million books really is indicative of that. Oh, maybe we'll have to look up like quantities of best-selling books. Um, here's what I'll say though. That's 999,990. 90 more copies than I have of the Rush Architects. <laughs> this is this is very so, true. But um yeah, I think like well, if you want to go like all-time bestsellers, I'm sure that Da Vinci Code is over like 40 million. Um now to to be fair, I pulled this up and I realized that there are probably people that want to hear about this book, but um here are books with more than 100 million copies. Um, do you want to take a guess? This first one, I know you've read, so I don't know if you want to take that one of the Harry step. Potter books. Yeah. yeah. And the Philosopher's Stone. Is that the first That's one? That's the first one. Yeah. yeah. So the first one, uh, 120 million. Um, the Little Prince by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, which is French. Um, there's a Chinese book, Dream of the Red Chamber. I'm not going to try to pronounce the name. And then J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. And then there were none by Agatha Christie. So we got to give it up for J.K. Rowling, who was able to do bigger numbers in much shorter periods of time, right? So that The Little Prince is right. published in 1943, The Hobbit in 1937, et cetera. So, um, so yeah, a million copies, really. <laughs> well, all right. It's, it sounds like small potatoes from that perspective. But then I guess how many books have broken one million you know what I'm saying? Like, or what percentage of books breaks a million copies sold? It can't be that high. Oh, the percentage? Yeah, the percentage I'm sure is 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 less than one percent. Right. Maybe so it's a, still a remarkable. <laughs> I put it this way: Bridget Jones. Do you remember that terrible movie, yeah. Bridget Jones? So the book that was based on 15 million copies. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'd say that like, I'm, I'm million is still it's it's nothing to, you know. No, 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 I know. I was simply it just it caught me off guard when I read that. I was like, I was like, that doesn't seem like, you know. Well, and all the, right, the, the gravitas of that <laughs> book. Since we're and we're since we're nitpicking the the synopsis, um, Livius mentioned something before we started recording, but then I'm I noticed something else too. Um, so this is this is the um, this is the thing that happens when there's a book that um, is has the potential to be like something where you have to pay attention and like kind of put the pieces together, like a puzzle type book, as opposed to the paint by numbers type book. Um, you start digging into the details of stuff. And so in the first paragraph of the synopsis, when it says talking to her over the webcam, isn't the same. They talk on a phone, but he's looking at a webcam. And again, I'm not going to fault Steven for any of this. Yeah. Um, because I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that um, when Stephen Hall publishes a book after 13 years, that a, a lot of hands, a lot of dirty little hands get involved in, in the process. So that being said, um, we're going to go on and actually talk about the book, Maxwell's Demon. Um, I'm Thomas very Quinn excited is about our, this. I, as am I. Um, Thomas Quinn is our protagonist, as you may have caught from the book synopsis. And we start off in his very, very young years uh, and to get a picture of what his life looks like. Um, you know, it's mentioned in the synopsis that his father is absent because he is a, a, a journalist and a writer who travels a lot. Um, so we really get a look uh, mostly at Thomas and his mother, um, Alexandra Quinn. And, you know, she's, you know, not doing so well. She's got some health issues, but she loves the hell out of this kid, spends a lot of time with it with him. And he gets his love of literature um, from the time he spends um, with his mother. And immediately, uh, not only do we get to see like the backstory of this character, but you can see how he he ties um, thoughts or ideas to to things a lot. And and that's just it seems to be kind of typical of Stephen Hall style. But um, when he talks about his father going away and coming back, it's like he is like when he comes home, it's like he's assembled, he's reassembling from these little pieces that he gets, like hearing his voice over the radio or seeing an article in a magazine, all assembled into being a person or, um, how his mother with her illness, um, seems like she was just always in a state of transitioning to, to being something else, which would be, um, when she passes away, uh, while he's, you know, still kind of young. So, um, right, right in that first chapter, Stephen Hall does not pull punches with um, like rich imagery and um, just making you think about things in a in a very specific way. He has a, he has a great way of of putting higher, bigger thoughts into like easy to digest words, uh, and I think it's a nice way to just just push you right into the deep end of um, concepts, paralleling storytelling because it, there's there's no lack of that in this book yeah i think you um i think you put that much better than i would have um, and and we'll and we'll get to that but um one chapter on thomas's uh childhood we fast forward 30 years to today where he is again as the synopsis mentioned kind of a failed novelist he wrote one book uh, it didn't do very well um, he tried uh, tried a couple other books. They they were not purchased based on the um, lackluster sales history of his first novel. And now he's still writing, but he's writing in uh, in some worlds that he doesn't uh, he doesn't feel real passionate about. So he's doing um, tie in novels um, and uh, you know short stories and and stuff like that. Um, and, and we catch him at an odd time. His wife, Imogen, who is a scientist, um, has gone on a scientific journey, um, as the synopsis, halfway around the world. So we catch him a few months into him kind of being on his own. Um, bills are piling up. He's not really selling anything. He's not even super motivated to do the work to sell anything. So I'll use the word that, that will likely come up a, a few more times, um, you know, entropy. Right. Like he's he's not putting in the energy. So life is deteriorating um, around him. And then something kind of interesting happens. So in his kind of clunking about his his apartment, he's just kind of doing his thing and, and 
at one point is is on the toilet when um the the phone rings and because he's on the toilet he doesn't answer it but um from from uh the other room because it's an actual landline with like an answering machine not his cell phone um he hears you know eventually the answering machine picks up and he hears his father's voice um asking if he's there uh and he says his name tom and it's like uh his dad died seven years ago like it says in the synopsis so it's it's like he freaks out and he tries to like run to the phone like his pants are on his ankles um and there's nothing on the machine he calls the operator the operator's like yeah the last call to this you know to this house was you know yesterday in the afternoon or something like that so there's like right away that there's this freaky unexplainable thing that happened which is that his dad called and was talking on the machine but the phone call never happened yeah and although we don't want to get too much in the story because some of this you have to discover for yourself it's not just that his dad called his dad asks him a question and uh the 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 question um leads us in into a variety of things so there's that and that that goes the reason I wanted to mention that specifically is because once we get done talking about the story, there's be some other things we want to talk about. And that really kicks off that part of the book. Um, I, at least I felt like that's what kicked off that part of the book. Rob may disagree. Um, but subsequently, um, shortly after that, he receives um, a, a little bit of a late letter um, from Andrew Black. Uh, an upstairs neighbor is getting, you know, the, the wrong mail in their mailbox. Finally, they bring down this mail. It's for Thomas. And, and amongst all of the um, uh, past due notices and, and that type of thing is a letter from Andrew Black, who he does know and has spent time with, but has not done so in a number of years. And inside is a short note asking, uh, hey, what do you think this is? And a, and a photo of a Polaroid, perhaps of a, an almost impossibly black sphere uh, on a table. And when he, when I read that part, did you look at any of the stuff? There was a organization a number of years ago that, um, developed a color of black. Oh, Vanta black. That's the one. Yeah. Did we talk about this on the podcast before? Okay. Yeah. So that's what I pictured when I, when I read that, that it was that, that black, right. As he talks about it, right. it's almost like a hole in something and not like, like a something itself. Yeah. Like Which, it, uh, it was the, like the, the only thing that made it seem three dimensional was like the way shadows happened in the photo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, um, that really, uh, moves our protagonist on, um, to a journey. So to explain a little bit of backstory, Andrew Black, after his first novel had a falling out with the publisher, and essentially disappeared from the face of the earth. Just just not available. Nobody knows. Uh, and we should mention um, that it's, uh, it's a pseudonym. So it's not the, the person who wrote this book's name is not Andrew Black. It was written under a pen name. And essentially disappeared from, from the face of the earth for all intents and purposes. So when Thomas receives this letter in this note, he goes to his um, agent, who is also Andrew Black's agent, um, saying, you know, I'm worried about him. This is kind of weird. I think it's, it's a cry for help. Um, you know, and then we're introduced to one of the other, you know, uh, key characters in this book, Sophie Almonds. Yeah. Um, and it's weird because when I was setting up to, to when I was setting up some notes about this, I was thinking, yeah, there's not a lot of characters in this book, but then you know, a lot of characters in this book, um, but not like a crazy, crazy amount, but like, you know, there's, there's people who have impact. Sophie Almonds is the literary agent for, Andrew Black and Thomas Quinn. Um, and this is where we discover that the runaway success author, um, Andrew Black, is a little more problematic than than has been depicted from, uh, you know, Thomas Quinn's point of view, who's basically like, well, my dad loved this guy more than me, and this guy's super successful, and my book didn't do well. Talking to Sophie, she's been really burned by this dude because he had a falling out with the publisher and one of the most like, you know, potentially um, successful authors, you know, of the time basically just dipped out from publishing altogether. And so um, she's got a really negative uh, opinion of, of Andrew black and uh, sees him differently. So when Thomas Quinn is like, Hey, you know, I think this, I think something weird's going on. 
I want to go see, I want to go see Andrew and see what's going on. She warns him against it. And, uh, that's, that's kind of where, so this has all been built up and this is where, like Livia said, like adventure is about to start. Um, Andrew Black resurfaces, contacts Thomas in a really kind of confusing way that, that, that causes concern. And now he wants to go see what's going on. His agent's like, that's a bad idea. There's nothing good that's going to come out of this because this guy is just, you know, he's bad news. And, uh, yeah, now I think we're going to kind of dance a little bit around what we can talk about, um, as far as plot goes, but I've got some ideas about other elements of the book as well. Yeah. And I think we're probably going to head into those. So I, um, both Rob and I have read this book twice now. Um, once when, uh, when we, uh, first uh, had access to it um rob through a friend of the podcast received a um arc copy i received a digital arc copy which was a mess and we'll talk about that a little bit later um and then again leading up to to this um review and really on my second go through of the book i looked at it a little differently than i did the first time so the first time i didn't know what i was getting right so here's how i see it there's a core story and that is Thomas Quinn's story. And then there is a lot of what in my head I've been thinking of is like supporting material for the story. And although it ties into the story, it's very different and almost academic. If not, actually, I'm not even gonna say almost it's academic in scope. And that's why I said before the, the, the phone call from his father um, prompts Thomas to look into some things. And those things have to do with language and the creation of language and this expands through the course of the story so that's one of the supporting things that that happen in maxwell's demon the other one is the kind of uh look at storytelling and the mechanics of storytelling which happens a variety of ways one of the ways is through the book cupid's engine now the book cupid's engine is the book that andrew black wrote and sold a million copies of um, and then, uh, otherwise there's even other actual, um, like, like real life books that are quoted, which we'll talk about, I think too, um, a little bit. Um, so uh, you have kind of like three things going on. There's for me, and then I'm, I'm going to ask your take on it, right? You have a core story that's about a person and what he's going through at this point in his life. You have the supplemental material about language and words and the creation of language. And then you have storytelling mechanics as like a third kind of side story to all of this did, did you feel it that it read that way um yeah and so to support that thought um one of the things that uh hall was known for with the raw shark text which re reemerges in this book is the idea of kind of an unconventional unconventional like layout so uh, <laughs> some of the supplemental information that Livius is talking about is revealed, not all of it, but some of it is revealed um, through a series of creative footnotes, which uh, manifest mostly as leaves. So um, at some point on a page, you'll get to a word and the normal text. And next to it will be a little like a like an icon of a, of a leaf of a type of leaf, like a maple leaf or whatever, an oak leaf or whatever it happens to be. And that is, you know, in place of the, the kind of superscript number that, a, that, a, that a footnote would usually have. And then on the page, you'll see a corresponding, you know, image next to a text of like a bubble of text in the shape of, of that leaf. Um, those different leaves, ha you know, present like, supplemental information like Livius was saying um so a lot of stuff about yeah like the types of characters and parts of parts of stories would be some of it other stuff is um talking about instances of things throughout history like there's an entire leaf that just talks about the importance of names and how knowing a name gives you power over stuff in certain religions or, or folklore or whatever it happens to be so a lot of the like a lot of the supplemental stuff you get is through this kind of creative leaf pattern footnote structure 
Um, and what it does is it just kind of gives context to what's happening in the book. And I don't think it's necessarily clues like, hey, if you read this stuff, you'll know what I'm trying to do. I don't think it's necessarily that, but I think it enriches um, like the knowledge you get from those little footnotes enriches what's happening in the story. The story itself carries on its own. Like you don't need the footnotes to appreciate the story, but it enriches your understanding of what's going on. I have a, I, I guess I will talk about my first read through now. Um, Cause I have what could be a fairly unique perspective. The advanced reader copy digital version that I received um, approved through the publisher was a hot mess. Um, Rob can attest to this because he he received uh, he was the beneficiary of receiving a couple of, uh, of photographs of my Kindle. Yeah, good um, lord. Where, yeah, where the the leaves did not play out into actual sentences, but like two letter words, one letter words, nonsense and gibberish. So here's what I will say: the core story, I really really liked. Um, could you read the core story without suppl supplemental information? Yes. And had I have read it that way, I probably would have given this pretty high marks and maybe have cast the story aside, like read it, reviewed it, moved on with my life. The supplemental stuff in there, I think, really puts this this good story way over the top. Um, mm -hmm. And, and I, I say that because I don't want anyone to think like, oh, this guy just told us this is a treatise on language, you know, and it, it's boring or whatever. No. No, absolutely not. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to talking to Stephen Hall because some of the concepts he puts forth there are really, if you think about it, kind of life-changing. I mean, there, there's some stuff there that some theories and premises, which again, I'm, I'm not going to go into here. I want people to read this experience for themselves, but uh, you know, like there's some things in there that, that, that can make you look at, at things a lot differently, I think. I agree. Um, and I guess I'll ask you the question because um, you had the, the original the, the original reading experience where you, you couldn't rely on the, the, the leaf notes. Um, was your understanding of the story toward the end clearer this time around than it was the first time? Hmm. Um, that's really hard to answer, and here's why because I had the ending of the story in my head. Well, you know what I mean? Yeah. So yes, absolutely. But I don't know if that was the, the, the lead, the block. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Like, much like reading the raw shark text for a third or fourth time, you start looking for the things along the way because you know, the end and that's kind of how it was here. But I, uh, I, I don't know, you know, I mean, it, I'm trying to think if a Stephen Hall book came out, and it didn't have weird shit on the page, would we be disappointed? And my <laughs> answer resoundingly is a little bit. A little bit. Like when you when you do something like the Raw Shark Text, and for anybody who hasn't read the Raw Shark Text, for fuck's sake, go out and buy a copy and read it. But ask Rob to loan you one of his 12 copies. Um, it's, a, it's an additional dimension. The word art, which I, I don't even know if that's the right word for it, but the word art in the book brings an additional dimension to the story. So when you get another Stephen Hall book, you crack it open, and the first thing you do is you thumb through it. Now, we had a preview a year ago of one of the leaves in the book, and I thought, well, of course, this is this is almost what it has to be. Uh, I'm not saying that Stephen can't write a great, brilliant, because he's, he's a storyteller, first and foremost, outside of this other stuff. But it's like a signature almost, like you, you kind of expect it. Right, like, so, and it's actually funny that you say that, because um, when someone's talking about the unconventional formatting of a Stephen Hall book, the first author everybody thinks of otherwise for the most part is Mark Z. Danielewski, uh, with house of leaves. Um, I'd imagine that almost anybody you talk to who's not like a serious academic or, or like focused on that specific topic would probably put those two as like their top kind of two thoughts. Um, we recently read the little blue kite by Danielewski, which wasn't you know as as weirdly formatted but it, because it was just text but um it had text with different colors and depending on how you what colors you read as you read through you could get a different like size story and um 
so I know this is a total aside, but I'm just I'm I'm agreeing with your 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 point. Uh, back in 2013, Hall published what's considered a short story, but it was kind of an excerpt from what this book originally was was um, called The End of Endings. And even though it's just straight text all the way through, um, there's kind of two parts to it from different you know time periods. The first part reads through on one side of the page, and then you flip the book over, and then in a negative where it's black paper and white letters, you read the other part. So even though it's just text... He couldn't just have you read it straight through. He had you read one half on white pages with black text and then flip the book over and read the other part, black pages, white text. You know, I can't believe that, uh, that, I've, uh, that I don't have a copy of this. Yeah, it's interesting, and I'm definitely going to bring it up when we talk to Stephen. But uh, anyway, that was a real, <laughs> that was a real tangent. Yes, yes, it was. Sorry, and I'm I'm looking on how to acquire a copy, so I could probably put that off until the end of this review. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's there's that, and then like I said, there is a lot of stuff about the creation of language, and I don't want to say too much about it, but I'm I'm fixated, and definitely want to ask Stephen, and we'll leave it up to him how much of the book he wants to give away, right? Because it's his book. Um. But like I said, it took a it took a, a really good story to, in my opinion, a, a great, great novel. And and I'm certain that those things did nothing but add to. So footnotes don't always do that for me when I read them in a book. Sometimes they're good. OK, so we just did the, the Paradox Twins, right? And the footnotes right. were funny and poignant and, and they made sense because it was the person who compiled and, and selected these excerpts from three different books and who knows how many um, screenplays like their commentary on it, which typically proved to be entertaining more than informative, I think, in that book. And they were fine. But footnotes usually just take you out of the story. And in this case, I, I think it did nothing but enrich. Yep. Uh, yeah. And. There's so the the weird thing is there's so much to talk about in this book. Like, um, I, I don't know how far I'm going to go. So I'm going to dip a toe and see where this leads. But, um, uh, the, one of the other elements that is pervasive throughout the book is, um, the book Cupid's engine, uh, that was written by Andrew black. And, um, not, it's not just a book that's looming over the head of, of Thomas Quinn as being like, you know, the book that was superior to his, um, or Sophie Almonds as being the book that like she thought was going to be a career maker that ended up, you know, causing her lots of trouble. Um, it, it, it shows up in, in different and interesting ways. And, and this is where I don't know how much we can say, but like, um, the characters in the book actually, have a you know have an impact on on what's going on in the story so like this book leaks into the real world in ways as well um yeah i think that's about all we want to say on that um you're right so rob and i had a little bit of a conversation before we started the podcast and, and he talked about pace and and how the book ends too not too quickly the book's too short overall right like that that's one of the things that i've said many times on this podcast right for as quick of a read as this is an awful lot of shit is packed into it you know so it's it's I don't know how to say it. The, the book is bigger than the number of pages they contain, which quite honestly, the raw shark text was too, as I think back to our review and yeah. my previous readings of that, right? Like there's more story in both of these books than fits in the number of pages. And uh, there's not a lot of writers that can say that. I, I'll be honest. There are books I, I absolutely love that there's like this dull part, usually about two thirds of the way in or so where I go, okay, I just got to get through this. Cause I know this is going to pick up and it does. And it's still a book that I love, but there's, there's a lull and uh, there's no lull in this book. Um, so <laughs> it's got a ton of stuff packed into it. All of it. Um, interesting. All of it keeps you turning the page. And it sounds like a wrap up and, and we're probably heading in that direction. 
But um, despite the fact that it is, oh, let me open up my copy. I read a paper copy of this one, guys, and I recommend you do the same. Uh, about 338 pages of story, maybe 337, um, with some word art in it. Um, doesn't, you know, there, there's a lot in there. There's more than 330 pages worth of story, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Uh, oh, and, uh, and I'm interested in hearing your, your perspective on this because we've talked about... Um, books in the past where you can you can approach it at the level you want to um we know that i'm a just idiot about how obsessed i am with understanding the story and raw shark texts um and i feel like this book has the potential to like let people go down rabbit holes as well um because of like what olivius was saying before about like um words the power of words, the creation of, of things, um, a lot of scientific concepts and stuff as well. Like the, the, the title Maxwell's demon is a, uh, physics, you know, kind of conundrum from, you know, like 120 years ago or whatever that has to do with entropy. So there's that. Um, and when I was preparing to talk about the book, I was like, man, I need to read this like two or three more times before I can really like, say what I think it's is going on, which is ridiculous. But, um, I feel like, um, much like the raw shark text, this is the type of book where someone could just obsess about understanding the mechanics of it, the rules of it, and like what the meaning of the outcome is. But on that first read, when I still was like, not really sure what was, you know, the, the overall, um, structure and, and skeleton of it, like the story for me was just so, um, like satisfying that had I had it like disappeared from the world, I, I, I wouldn't be upset because the story itself was, was good on its own without having like challenging you to figure out everything that was going on. Yeah, I agree as, as a standalone story, if you took the core story, which is Thomas getting from point a to the end of the book. Um, yeah, it's, it's great. Um, and, and I think it can be enjoyed that way. Now, there's not an easy way to enjoy it that way because you could skip over all, all the leaves, I guess. But there's still other stuff that's in the text. So Rob mentioned the, the actual title, Maxwell's Demon, which is has to do with the second law of thermodynamics. Um, and and it's, it sounds science-y. And for a guy who's not super into science, like there's very little science. Like, like there's an explanation of what entropy is and how Maxwell's Demon um, was used, which is a theory um, used to prove that wrong for a long, long time. I, I believe it was about a hundred years. Um, you know, so I mean, in answer to your question, here, here's what I will say. So I've read it twice. There's a very good chance I will read this book again. Um, I, and I want to answer a question that I think probably Stephen Hall fans are asking: Is is this one going to leave me scratching my head at the end? And yeah, I think so. And, and I guess I'll, I'll throw it back to you. Is this a, is this a head scratcher along the lines of, of the raw shark texts? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Short answer. Yes. But um, I'd say that um, I think, and this is Olivia's thing. I think Stephen Hall's got an idea of what it, how it all fits together um, as opposed to leaving it intentionally vague. I will say that um, I say that there's probably going to be someone who breaks it down and has notes and stuff or, or like flow charts and figures out, well, this says this. So that means this and this, you could do that and, 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 and come up with a, 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 you know, an admirable theory about what it all means. Um, but yeah, like part of the fun is like, just enjoy like being along for the ride. So, um, yeah, I, I I'm happy thinking I have a pretty good idea even and, and not necessarily feeling like I need the definitive def, like explanation. Yeah. I, I feel less so than I, I was going to say did with raw shark text, but I just finished it again this morning and I, I still, you know, <laughs> it's going to be hard. So we're, we're interviewing Stephen Hall. I, when you hear these episodes will be much farther apart than when we're recording them. Um, and it, it's going to take Rob a lot of time and like muting me to keep me from from like just berating Stephen Hall on, uh, the, you know, whatever the ending of this book and the ending of the raw shark texts. 
Like it's gonna have to exercise a lot of self control, and then there's probably gonna be a lot of stuff edited out. You know, the the final <laughs> the final cut from Rob going, Jesus Christ, man, stop stop yelling at this guy about the ending of the Raw Shark text. So uh, I'm just looking forward to the fact that there's gonna be stuff that doesn't make it in the episode that we get to hear. You know what oh, yes. I'm saying? Yes, yes, yes. And, oh, uh, there there'll be there'll be an unepisode. An unepisode, exactly. <laughs> oh, perfect. Oh, that's good. That's good. All right. Let's uh let's go into wrap ups, shall we? Yeah. There was very little chance that I wasn't going to love a new Stephen Hall book. Um, but there's that part of me too that says, you know what, you can't um uh the, the more excited, the more you anticipate something, the better chance there is that that is going to be a letdown. I also um, I thought a lot about Lamb when I was reading this book, oddly enough, the, the first time around, at least. And I thought about Christopher Moore saying people keep walking up to me even to this day and they go, oh, I really love this book, but it's no lamb. And I was worried about that for Stephen Hall. Uh, maybe even a little bit. After I finished Maxwell's Demon. But on my second reading of Maxwell's Demon, um, I no longer felt that way. I think that Hall delivered a very compelling narrative core story and surrounded it with brilliant information. The stuff on entropy, which we touched on a little bit. There's biblical stuff uh, that's touched on. There is uh, language and the power of language and words. And then there's story mechanics all built into this book. And when I add those all together, I find this as rewarding as reading the raw shark text. Different, maybe less cerebral in that way that I'm not trying to pick it apart to find a specific answer or to look for clues nearly as much, but just a very, very well-rounded novel. Um, I, I absolutely love this one. It got almost all tens, which has not happened. Um, the conclusion got a nine. Um, I'm not. I'm not going to talk about why on here. And uh, and the pace got a nine. Um, and and only the only issue I had with pace was I had to use a fucking magnifying glass to read some of these leaves. And, you know, you're trucking along and you're reading your page every minute, minute and a half, whatever pace you read at. Right. And then you get to a page and you're like, now I've got to get a magnifying glass and spend nine minutes trying to fucking read these little leaves. Right. Um, so that's where I dinged it. Um, just one one point on, on pace. And uh, that comes out to a nine point seven five. I believe that's my highest score in the year and a half that we've been using this system. I'd say there's a good chance you're right about that. That's a that's a high that's high praise, literally high praise. Um, so, so the simple thought is, is thinking to myself, I've waited 13 or 14 years to read this book. And, um, that Granta, um, end of endings was a little bit of a teaser in the, in the, in the mid 2010s because, um, some of that stuff that was in that story made it into this book. So it's obvious parts of, of that story, informed um you know early parts of of what became maxwell's demon um it'll be interesting to see if there's there's some sort of um it'll it'll be it'll be interesting to see the genesis of this book when we we get a chance to talk to steven uh very soon um but all of that is to say uh it's it's something that's been on my mind for a while um jesse lawrence sent me an arc before i knew that was even a possibility which was like the nicest thing in the world. I was so excited and, um, and it was just great to read. But like Livia said, I, I was thinking about this earlier today. There's this like impossible conundrum of if you really loved something from someone, there's no way that thing that you anticipate coming next isn't going to be impacted by your feelings about the other thing. Um, and so obviously when I come into a situation like that, one thing I do is I really lower my expectations and I just kind of try to take it as much for what it is. There's no worries. This is a great fucking book. The story. I mean, what Livia said was, was actually really well stated and, um, I, I, I can't say it better. Um, so I will agree with everything Livia said about the story and how the other elements, um, kind of elevated the, the book experience overall. Um, for me, 
it's just it's astonishing what 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 Stephen Hall does and and um in as much as he tells like a really compelling story about people but then he challenges you challenges you to think about all of these other things and how they affect life or or presents concepts that make you think differently about things and so it's like you get a great story with all these bonuses of like he adds context to the world almost. Um, and so it's a great book. I loved practically everything about it. Um, I did give a lower uh, score for pace and I made a note that said, honestly, went a little, went a little faster than I'd hope. And all that means is if, if, if there was 1200 pages, I'd still be like, man, I wish there was more because it was just a very satisfying book. Um, one of the things that's really clear now that this is his second book is that he has this kind of reverence or love for words or the impact of words uh or or just like um books in general um and that comes out very clear in this with just the power of what writing can do or the power of individual letters and how that um has subtly manifested in history there's just yeah there's a lot going on and um I uh, will read this multiple more times and I might end up being that dude who makes flow charts and stuff like that. But for now, even on the first read, it was a very satisfying read. I was very happy with it. And I was just, um, I was glad that, um, we had a chance to read it. So overall I gave it 9.5 out of 10. So 0.25 points lower than Livius with an average score of 9.625. And if that's not the highest average that we've had, I'd be surprised. Yeah, sorry, other books. This is the best book we've read in a really long time. It's just freaking great. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you guys are going to hear us uh, talk with Stephen about the book, but don't, don't, just just order it. Just pre-order it. It comes out on April 6th. If you order it from, from Amazon, they'll usually drop it on your door on release day. Um, don't, don't wait. Get, get this one for sure. Yeah, I I agree. It's 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 just very good. And um Ross Shark Text stands up, I would say. Uh we read it I think in 2019 or 18 mm-hmm. for the podcast. And um that's one of those books where if you haven't read it before, um it's so good. It's just a great book. Um you can't go wrong with Stephen Hall. Buy them both, read them both. Um, and then this is the type of stuff where it's like, if you have an idea about something, share it with us because there's a lot of thinking you can do about it, um, about the meaning of things. And absolutely one of those books where off podcast, all of our conversation was about stuff we didn't talk about in this review. Mm-hmm. So there's, <laughs> there's a lot going on in the spoiler area um, that uh, that we chatted heavily about uh, as well. So um, far, far deeper than what we were able to talk about without spoiling things. Yeah, except for Sean Ferguson, who didn't like the Ross Shark texts. He should not order a copy of this book. He should probably not <laughs> read books anymore. Yeah, he should just, yeah. He's doing all right. He's out there. He's got a family. He's a dad. Yeah. Yeah. No, I wish him nothing but the best. But, you know, this will there will always be some, some division um, in our friendship because you- of... <laughs> Shark text thing. Wish him better taste in, in reading materials. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I am super excited. We're going to be talking to Stephen Hall for us in like 14 hours. Um, for you guys, it's probably going to be more like a week. So I'm ridiculously excited. Two things I want to add. Um, a year ago, we reached out to Stephen. Um, kind of, there was like a lot of weird publication date rumors and stuff about this book. So we wanted to get to him early, see if he could help us get uh, copies and obviously to kind of like hook him into to talking to us on the podcast. And he was very kind. He went back and listened to our um, review of the Ross Shark texts, but he sent us a preview, which was one of the leaves that we talked about. I believe it was just a screenshot probably of the, you know, whatever PDF or whatever he had on his desktop. I don't know if you know this, but for a year that has been, in my line of sight whenever I'm in my office at work. It is sat next to my monitor, and, and I've changed offices over the course of that year. And quite honestly, I think that's the only thing that moved offices with me that I didn't like pack up in a box and throw in the basement. So you know what's our about anticipation? I've been looking at that leaf 
for for over a year now. That's uh, that's cool. Um, yeah, the, like <laughs> we're not shy about talking about my fanboyism with raw shark texts, but um, I um, I, I restrain myself sometimes. Like so, um, there's uh, for raw shark texts, there are the unchapters. And you can find some of them, you know, circulating on the internet. One of them is the aquarium fragment, which has a little word image of a baby shark. Not like the song, but like, you know. um, Thanks, because everyone's listening right now. It's in your head. And and it says, you know, uh, it says some stuff on there. And I had it, I put it on like an eight inch by eight inch little canvas. Uh, first of all, that tells you something about how nutty I am. But then I was like, all right, where do where am I putting this up? Where am I putting this up in my apartment? And there's a whole like reflection theme in the raw shark text. Like the reflect for the reflection becomes the view or whatever. The reflection becomes the image. Whatever the thing is, it's important. No, it's the it's the view. The view. All right, thank you. Um so I was like, oh, I'm gonna put it on the wall in my bathroom next to the mirror. So when I'm like standing there washing my hands or brushing my teeth or whatever, I can see this little shark thing, but then I can also see its reflection. And then there's like meaning that like references the book in this like kind of physical location of this thing. So yeah, like just, you know, have me committed now because that's so much I think about this stuff. I, uh, I committed what I consider a sin today. And I listened to a Stephen Hall interview. I avoid, Rob will tell you, I avoid doing this. If we're going to have somebody on the podcast, this is the first time in in 10 years, 10 years, basically when you're hearing this, um, that I've done this. And I just wanted to share with you on the podcast. I could have told you about this without the, off the podcast, but he did mention two particular unchapters um, and where they are never going to be seen, essentially. So, and I don't know if you know this, one of them was rolled up, put into a bottle, and thrown into the sea. He didn't specify which sea, just the sea. Um, one of them was taped under a park bench that you could find if you paid really close attention to the raw shark texts. That is gone. It is missing. And we're going to assume that it was found by somebody who had no idea what it was, or I'm thinking it would have made it into yeah. the now defunct Stephen Hall forums from um, you know the rawsharktext.com. Uh, or or something, right? So there are at least two that will never ever, or are very unlikely to see the light of day, which uh, means that book's never really done, doesn't it? Yeah, it kind of does. And and part of me, part of me just wants the full picture. You know, part of me wants all the unchapters. And I've I've done like the lazy man's. I've done like the the Wikipedia research level. Uh, version of of finding on chapters, which is just like you know going to the forums and going where other people said they found stuff. Yeah. Um, buying editions that have different stuff, like the Canadian version has um, the glossary in the back, so I have that. Um, the and at the front of the Canadian edition, there's there's a there's something as well. Um, but I, maybe I've seen three, three or four. Of the uh, 36 unchapters, so it's yeah. I just have to decide. It's it's not a sad thing that I that I haven't seen the other stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know, I have questions about it. So we, I just added a question to tomorrow's interview. I just want to know if he has all the unchapters, which I'm pretty sure he does, <laughs> and I don't think he's ever going to share them. But you know, it's probably not that hard to find out where he lives, right? I mean, yeah, just saying. Um, yeah, so, uh, for sure, pick up the Rush Architects, pick up Maxwell's Demon. Um, I, do you have anything else you'd like to talk about before we, we, uh, sign off for the evening? Well, it's, it's kind of like a, it's, it's like an untopic in a way, just a, just a theme, uh, just a theme against what we've been talking about with Rush Architects. Um, I have, uh, successfully continued to not watch the movie Cherry. So there's that. Can, can, Congratulations. Um, <laughs> some, some entropy at work right there. I yeah. Think. I was really channeling um, Thomas Quinn in my um, yeah. levels of activity. 
It's um, this is uh, it's like uh, like character actors, right? Like you're reading a book, so you try as much as you can. Uh, yeah, you like the character. Yeah. Um. Well, you know, there's always this week. So maybe we'll see. I'm not, I'm not going to hold my breath on if you see Cherry by next week. But uh, yeah, I don't really have much of anything. I, I read three books in the last, I don't know, 10 days or, or whatever it's been. So yeah. really my, my extra time has been spent and, and not, you know, not easy books, right? Those Maxwell's Demon and Raw Shark Tech. So these aren't ones where, you know, I was half paying attention to, to pay. You know, I mean, I was really, really paying attention. Like focused, yeah. Yeah, and uh, if you tune in next week, I will, because uh, that's the other question people might have, right, is does this at all tie into the Raw Shark texts? And uh, I don't know, maybe Stephen Hall will figure that out, or maybe we'll we'll get that in, we'll, we'll pull that information out of him with some clever questions, with some things we noticed um, <laughs> on uh, on our next episode. Yeah, well, and here's the nice thing, like, me and Livius had a lot of, like, have had a lot on our plates uh, the last you know, a couple of weeks with reading and stuff. The next time you hear an episode after the raw shark text and the Stephen Hall interview, we will have probably had a really light load says, I feel like there's, there's some, there's some casual time coming up. Um, that doesn't mean, cause this is like our 11th book review in a row. I think like the last 10 or 11 episodes have all been book reviews. So we're, you know, we're going to coast for a, for a, 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 like a pinch of time. Yeah. Here's what I will say. I, I do want to get this out there because the next time people hear from us, we will roughly be at our 10 year anniversary. So happy yeah. 10 year anniversary. That's uh, and, happy 10 year. Yeah. <laughs> no, if you're waiting yeah, for a response. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Yeah. It's like either way. That's fine. <laughs> um, I'm sure you'll send a card or something. I, uh, but no, you know what happens at 10 years, right? You get an extra week off. Isn't that how it works at like oh, jobs? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there you go. So we get an extra week of vacation. Love it. I love it. After, after ten years. So oh, uh, yeah. So there there might be a little bit of a gap where we're not exactly sure. We're 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 working on something. I guess is what we're trying to say. But we're going to be very vague um, about it. Yeah, we earned it. Ten years. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. I hope we did the book justice. Um, even if you think that we didn't sound like we knew the hell we were talking about, um, 100%, this is a book that you need to read. So please go check it yeah. out. You read a Stephen Hall book and try to explain it to someone. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, next thing you'll hear is Stephen himself explaining everything to us. Until then, I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Olivia Snudden. Keep reading. <laughs>